If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start looking at verse 15. Their names appear on the ash heap of history. Men and women who have led thousands upon thousands to depravity and to death. These men and women have done most of their evil work in the name of God. If you read the accounts of these false prophets, their claims seem beyond ordinary. In fact, these beyond ordinary claims are the things that initially attracted their followers to them. Here's just some of the beyond ordinary claims. Marshall Applewhite of Heaven's Gate claimed to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um Shakiro claimed to be Christ. Amy Carlson, who was called Mother God, she's claimed to be that she was able to cure cancer and communicate with angels. Daniel Perez was a seer who was able, who, said, who claimed to be that he was a thousand-year-old angel. And the pictures of these men and women shown here today are not all of the false prophets and cult leaders. They're just in the most notorious ones and only in the last 60 years. They serve just as this representation of the thousands upon thousands of false teachers who claim beyond ordinary feats and have plagued our civilization since the beginning of time. And then it's no wonder why Jesus, on the Sermon of the Mount, would tackle the issue of false teachers. See, false teachers were just as common in the day of Jesus as they are today. During his ministry, Jesus would confront the false teachers. Some of his most harshest words and his harshest judgments were reserved for people who claimed to be of God and do things in the name of God, yet led people astray. It would be eventually the false teachers who would kill Jesus. See, false teachers are a plague on our society, and that's why Jesus addressed them and their danger on the Sermon on the Mount. Today in the Sermon on the Mount, we want to confront the fallacies of these false teachers. False teachers who claimed to be beyond ordinary. See, there is these, these false prophets, they seem to be beyond ordinary. In other words, at first glance, you look at these false prophets and you would go, these people are just beyond ordinary. But Jesus had another message for us today. The people who seemed beyond ordinary, the false prophets who seemed beyond ordinary, were in fact just ordinary. But their appearance seemed to be beyond ordinary. Let me illustrate it this way. Outwardly, these false prophets, these false teachers, looked like prophets. There was a dress that went with the prophets. We see this in John the Baptist. We see this in Elijah. We see this in Samuel. It's, these, it's a, rough, a rough cloth. It's a, it's a mantle. It's the camel hair. In other words, there was, a, there was a garb that went with the prophets. So in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, when it says, They come in sheep clothing... It may not necessarily mean they're disguising themselves as sheep as much as it is. They are taking on the look of the prophet. But here's the problem with their appearance. They were neither sheep nor were they prophets. But in reality, they were ferocious wolves who were going to wreak havoc on the sheep. 
they appear beyond ordinary also in their fruit. Look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 16. By their fruit you will recognize them. You see, fruit represents a person's product. Our fruit is what gives us our nature and identity. Fruit is the best indicator of our nature. And Jesus would say to the false teachers and the prophets, there is fruit there. It's not that the false prophets were fruitless. It wasn't that there, was some, there wasn't any product coming out of their life. But here's what the problem was. The problem was that the tree was bad. Bad trees produce bad fruit. They were not producing good fruit because at their core they were just bad people. They appear beyond ordinary even in their extraordinary works. Look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many, many miracles. It almost, it's almost like it's inherent with these false prophets that they claim some sort of beyond ordinary type of work. The, the prophets that I showed you, the false prophets that I showed you earlier, some of their claims were something like this. They could read minds. They could levitate. They could do healings, so on and so on. Over and over, some sort of work or extraordinary deed that they could do. Eventually, they, would, they claimed some sort, of, some sort of deity status. That's just the nature of false prophets. It's the same way in the life of Jesus. Matthew chapter 24, and verse 24, it says, False messiahs and false prophets will come, and they're going to do great miracles and wonders, trying to fool the people of God God has chosen, if that is possible. So it's not surprising then, on the Sermon on the Mount, that there would be these people who claim miraculous works, but Jesus did not know them. This passage has always somewhat confused me a little bit. I've always struggled with this a little bit because here's what I thought. I thought that if you could do miraculous gifts, then there had to be some sort of spirituality about you, right? But here's what Jesus is saying. You could do the miraculous gifts but still not know God. You could do those things but still not know God. In fact, Jesus would say, get away from me. But why does he disclaim ownership? And it's found in this little word. It's found in the little word that says this, you evildoers. That little word there, Jesus is saying to them, you might be able to perform miracles, but I want to let you know your lifestyle is one that produces evil actions. You may look beyond ordinary because you're able to do miracles, but you continually and habitually practice lawlessness. And when he says, you evildoers, that's what he's describing there. As I read this passage, I always thought that there was like false prophets in the crowd, right? And, and, and Jesus was given them a what for. Now, you want to know what a what for is, right? <laughs> a what for is he's given them a talking to. But if you look really close at the passage, 
it doesn't seem to indicate there are any false teachers there in the audience. Really, who he's talking to here is he's just talking to the disciples and ordinary folk. And you might be going, well, Bill, what's the big deal? Who, who cares who he's talking to? Because it matters because of this. It matters because Jesus is defining for his disciples in crowds who is ordinary and who is beyond ordinary. And Jesus is saying to his disciples and he's saying to the crowds, you're looking over at these false prophets, you're looking at these false prophets and they seem beyond ordinary and I want to let you know these false prophets are just simply ordinary. And that's the big deal why he's talking to it. And so I begin to ask this question. What does it mean to them to be beyond ordinary? If it's not the false prophets, if it's not these people who, who look the part and, and, and who, who have fruit and who do the miraculous, if it's not those people, then who is the beyond ordinary? And the passage is so rich because here's what it tells us is this. A life beyond ordinary means this. Be a good tree. Now, I know when we look at this passage, we talk a lot about the fruit. And the passage really does talk about fruit. But I really think, in reality, it's talking more about trees than it is fruit. Notice some of the things. Good trees produce what? Good fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Good trees are not cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus is really talking about what does it mean to be a good tree? That's what he's really talking about. Yeah, fruit's talked about, but he's really talking about what does it mean to be a good tree? So tonight, today what I want to do is this, is I want to just talk a little bit about what it means to be a good tree. And here's the first thing. A good tree is rooted in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says this, So then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17 says, We are to be rooted in Jesus' love. So what does it mean to be rooted in Jesus' love? It, to be rooted in Jesus Christ? It means this, that Jesus is the only source for my life and my growth. He's the only source for that. Not only does it mean that, is that it means to be rooted in Christ is... That Jesus is the source of all the strength that I have. He's the source of life. He's the source of growth. He's the source of my strength. To be rooted into Jesus, that's what that means. And here's the good news for today. Usually we offer the invitation at the end, but I want to offer it here. Today, you can know that you could be rooted in Jesus Christ. Stuart mentioned these about our baptisms. Do you know what happens at your baptism? At your baptism, not only do you claim to believe in Jesus Christ, and not only do you confess His name and repent of your sins, but you're immersed in Him. But at that moment in time, 
you are rooted in Jesus Christ. To be a good tree not only means that we're rooted in Jesus Christ, but it also means this. A good tree is where my actions and my life and my words are aligned with Christ. There's this, there's this question that's asked here. Notice in verse 16, it goes something like this. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And the answer to that is no. The meaning means this. It's a rhetorical question, and here's what Jesus is saying. You pick grapes from grape vines, and you pick figs from fig trees. It is a simple but profound principle. In broad terms, for us, here's the application. It means this. We are Christians. It means as Christians, I am a Christ follower. It means that I align my actions, my life, and my words according to Jesus Christ. In very, very broad terms. But in specific terms, it looks something like this. I want you to imagine, just for a second, this really, really beautiful... It has to be apple, okay? It just has to be apple. This beautiful, beautiful tree. And it's the Christian tree. Everybody knows it's the Christian tree. It, it's just the Christian tree. And so people walk up and they want to eat from the Christian tree. And, and when my life and my actions and my words are not aligned, they're not aligned with Christ, it looks something like this. They come up to the Christian tree and they grab the fruit of my language, my words. And they take this big old bite, and I don't want to do this. I'm saving for second worship. Just kidding. And they take this big old bite from the Christian tree, the language and words, and they go, and they spit it out. And they go, that is disgusting. I thought this was the Christian tree. And I can't believe the Christian tree is using language like this. That is just disgusting. Or how about this? They come to the Christian tree and they grab our lifestyle, the fruit of our lifestyle. And they take this big old bite of our lifestyle from the Christian tree. They take a bite and they go, <coughs> they spit it out and they go, that is disgusting. I thought this was the Christian tree. I thought this was the Christian tree, and I can't believe that a Christian would live like this during the week, and especially Saturday night, and come to church on Sunday. That is disgusting. You're getting the point, right? And it doesn't matter what subject it is, here's what happens. When my life and my words and my actions are not aligned with Christ, every time somebody comes to pick the fruit of my life and they realize that I'm not, it's not like what the Christian tree should be, here's what happens. People are turned off to Christianity. But here's the other is true. Watch this. Somebody looks and they go, well, this is the Christian tree. Hi, come look at the Christian tree. And they grab the fruit. 
and they grab the fruit and they taste it and their eyes get so bright and they taste another bite and they go, so that's it. That's what love looks like. Oh, hey, everybody, come here. Look, look. This is what Christian love looks like. Or how about this one? They come to the Christian tree. And the Christian tree, and they grab this fruit, and it's forgiveness. And they take a big old bite of forgiveness because they need it so badly. And they take a bite, and their eyes light up. And then they take another bite, and they go... I get it. This is what Christian forgive this is what Christian forgiveness looks like. And the more we align our life, our actions, our words with Christ, the more good fruit people pick from our lives. And here's what they go. Not that we are good, but that what is that Jesus is good. You see, a good tree is one that aligns itself with Christ, the actions, the life, and the words. A good tree is this. A good tree lives a life of simple obedience. Look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who deal the will of my Father who is in heaven. And what Jesus is saying is he's going, yeah, 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 I see the show. I see the show. I get it. I see the show. I see all these things. You, you're claiming to be extraordinary. But here's what I would like really to do. I would simply like for you to do the will of my Father. Now, I don't know, you know, when we talked about this in preaching team, doing the will of the Father has always been sort of this mysterious phrase for us, right? I wonder if this is the Father's will. Or how about this? I wonder what God's will is for my life. Or I wonder what God's will is in this certain situation. But I want to let you know something. This is not the issue with the false teachers, the ordinary false teachers. It's just not the issue. See, i got to let you know, there are elements to the will of God that will always lie in the unknown. I mean, they're just going to lie there. But that's not the issue with the false teachers. The problem with the false teachers is this. They are not obeying the expressed will of the Father. They are defiantly disobeying his written will, they are lawbreakers. And here's what I mean. We may never know, there's, there's this idea of this. There are going to be shadows when we're talking about the will of God, but here's what it is. Really living the will of God or doing the will of God is this. It is obe being obedient to the expressed will of God. Doing the will of God or living beyond the ordinary in this manner means this. There is this continuous flow of simple acts of, of obedience. Simple acts of obedience. And so today, here's what I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you in this arena area. I want to challenge you to live beyond the ordinary in this aspect. I want to let you know that whether it's large or whether it's small, every act of obedience is an anthem to living a life beyond the ordinary. It is living on the mount with Jesus Christ. And the challenge for us is to rise up each day 
to rise up to each day with this expectancy that I'm going to live beyond the ordinary in simple acts of obedience. And so my question is, what is in front of you as you encounter the acts of obedience? Big or small, it doesn't matter. What is it that's in front of you in, the, in a simple act of obedience? Because when we act there, here's what's happening. We are really living beyond the ordinary. So know this. Being rooted in Jesus, aligning our lives, our, our, our actions and our words, and simply doing acts of simple obedience. We become good trees. And here is the assurance. Here is the assurance that we have. The assurance is this. When we become good trees for God, we will bear good fruit. That's the beautiful promise of this passage, isn't it? It's the beautiful promise of this passage is, is, is we don't have to wonder and we don't have to worry. We don't have to, you know, look at our lives and try and figure out whether we are or whether we're not. But I want to let you know is this. When you become a good tree, not only will you be living beyond the ordinary, but you're going to bear good fruit. It's just going to happen. And I've dealt a little bit with what it means to have good fruit. But I want to go a little bit deeper here in what it means to bear good fruit. In Ephesians chapter 5, 22 and 23, when I'm baptized into Christ, I get the gift of the Holy Spirit living in me. And the challenge then is this, to live and walk according to the Spirit. And to live and walk according to the Spirit, there's this this fruit that comes out of my life. And Paul claims it to be this. It's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What does it mean to produce good fruit? That inside of me, I access the Spirit's work in my life. And all those qualities come pouring out of my life. It's not a matter if I have them. Here's what it is. I have them. It's accessing those. Another definition is this. of What does it mean to bear good fruit? Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. In verse seven, starting in verse 7, John the, Bapti- John the Baptist, Baptist is baptizing. <laughs> Sorry, that's easier. <laughs> that's easier to think about than say. He's baptizing people, and people are coming out to be baptized. And he looks at some of them, those who are going to claim that, hey, listen, I'm already good with God because of my, because of my heritage. I am Abraham's children. He's going, listen, I'm going to let you know that doesn't count. And he says this phrase, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, your ancestry lineage is not enough for kingdom entrance. I want to let you know that you need to produce fruit, good fruit, in keeping with repentance. And all of a sudden you go, well, what does that mean? And it's what's really interesting about the passage of Scripture. If you look carefully, guess what? They ask the same question. They go, look at, notice down the, just go down a little bit. And then the crowd, verse 10, what should we do then? Hey, that's a really good phrase. 
John, I really love it. I'm going to put that in my Bible. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, what does that mean? And then he goes into these series of explanation of what it means to have fruit in keeping with repentance. It goes something like this. The man who has two tunics should share with one who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to him to be baptized. Teacher, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some of the soldiers says, and, and what should we do? He said, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with what you have. And if you boil all that down, here's what it means is this. In very simple terms, John is saying this. You want to know what fruit in keeping with repentance is? It's all seen in how we treat other people around us. It's all in how we treat people around us. Specifically, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be honest and I want you to be generous. I want you to be honest and I want you to be generous. And when we do these things, we will bear good fruit. You want good fruit? Let the Spirit flow out of you as the fruit of the Spirit. Be generous and be honest. Here's the call for today. The call today is to be a good tree. It's to be a good tree because when we're good trees, we will live life beyond the ordinary and we will bear fruit that is beyond the ordinary. And if we're rooted in Jesus and align our actions and live out simple acts of obedience, we will bear a beyond ordinary fruit for God. And if we could help you with that in any way, Come as we stand and as we sing.